Gyananjana-salakaya-chakshurun-militam-yena-tasmai-shri-gurve-namaha Vande Jagat Priyakaro Karunabhataro Vande Shri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sahodito Guru Jai Pushpabanto Chitra Sangdo Tamamuno Vande Ham Shri Ramakrishna Abhayo Charano Sato Sukado Paramanando Sundaro Subhadapriyo Hey Krishna Karuna Sindhu, Dinabandu Jagatpate, Gopi Shagopi Kakanta Radha Kanta Namostude, Tapta Kanchana Gurangi, Radhe Brindavanishwari, Vishabhanu Sute Devi, Pranamami Hari Priye. Shri Gaudiya Vaishnav, Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Shri Jiva Goswami Ki Jai, Shri Satsandarbhas Ki Jai. Glorious devotees, thank you for attending another presentation on Shri Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. Uh, despite the error in the title here, uh, uh, we're going into a new uh, section of the Sandarbha presentation. We're still in the 29th Anucheta. And in this 29th Anucheta, we've seen that Jiva Goswami has shown us um, the proper way to interpret various statements. First of all, from the Srimad Bhagavatam itself, uh, he, state, he took in that first 
subsection of this 29th Anucheta, he looked at individual verses wherein one could apply a literal translation to the verse and uh, arrive at a conclusion was, which was in opposition to the Pariva Sutra, which is the key to understanding the Bhagavatam. So those other conclusions would lead one to believe just from reading the verses and applying a literal translation uh, that Krishna is just another avataric descent and he doesn't hold any specific uh, position of, of hierarchy. Um, so the, as we know, the Parivas Sutra clearly puts Krishna as Swayam Bhagavan, the topmost manifestation of divinity, uh, according to the Gaudiya understanding of the Bhagavatarana. So Jiva Goswami is our is our Tattva Guru, and he's he's he brings out the essence of this statement by uh, Sutta Goswami, uh, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. That Krishna is the topmost manifestation, but there are other statements in the Bhagavatam that would appear to contradict this. So Jiva Goswami's looked at those statements and told us one by one how they need to be interpreted and how they're properly interpreted. Um, and if we apply the proper interpretation of them, we can not arrive at any conclusion other than um, a complete agreement with the Pariva Sutra that Krishna is the topmost manifestation of the Supreme Lord. Then we went on in, in the last subsection to look at the uh, Mahakala incident. Now he looked at a narrative, a narration in the Bhagavatam itself where there's certain statements made uh, by uh, Mahakala or Mahavishnu uh, wherein one could interpret those statements uh, in such a way that they would uh, be understood as uh, putting Krishna and Arjuna in a position of subordination uh, to uh, Lord Krishna. And Jiva Goswami, through his Sandarbha and through various arguments, that he himself put forth um, in the Anucheta refuted uh, any misinterpretations and showed us how, as Gaudias, utilizing proper um, hermeneutics and understanding of Sanskrit and understanding of the application of the Parivas Sutra, how that Leela narrative from the Bhagavatam should be seen. Now he continues in this 29th Anucheta. And just to give you some perspective, 
this is just the beginning of his fortification of the Parivasutra. From here, he's going to wage an all-out war <laughs> on four fronts in the Anuchetas that we will enter into after this uh, in defense of the Parivasutra. So this is so central to our understanding as Gaudiya Vaishnavas to, uh, to accept Krishna as the topmost manifestation of divinity. Because once we can assimilate uh, that understanding and fully defend that understanding, or at least understand the defenses of that understanding, if we've not yet acquired the qualification, which unfortunately for the majority of us at where we are in our spiritual advancement, we may not be able to fully be present all of the arguments uh, to defend the conclusions of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, even though we accept them. So that, that's a distinction that's made is it's actually a, a defining, defining characteristic of the interim stage of devotional practice, the Madhyamadhikari. He himself is fully convinced of all the scriptural conclusions at, as put forth in the Siddhanta of the Sampradaya in which he is developing his, his spirituality personally. So he's convinced of the conclusions, but he may not be able to fully defend those conclusions scripturally and logically. And that's, that's one of the defining characteristics of that stage of devotional practice. As he advances to the stage of Uttama Adhikari, then complete absorption in Shastra and complete absorption in the, in the conclusions and the logic and the defense of those conclusions uh, is made readily available to him. And therefore, we refer to him as uh, Shastravit, as the Uttama Adhikari, the Paramahansa, and uh, not all Paramahansas will display themselves in human society um, and enter into the outreach. Uh, there is uh, a nomenclature applied to various uh, advanced devotees. Uh, and one of them is, is the devotee that is more or less uh, content in his own spiritual pursuit, and he doesn't really engage in outreach, uh, the bhajananandi. And the other, he, he does engage in outreach. He does try to make accessible to human society the, the glorious position of devotion and the amazing characters and uh, qualities and associates of the Supreme Lord and his leelas in such a way that 
those that are immersed in materiality can turn their consciousness towards the Lord. So the, uh, the terminology is there for him, Gostyanadi. He, he's going out. So his bhajan is it's an outreaching. And of course, he is relishing the outreach as much as the bhajananandi is relishing the inreach. So he's going both in and out uh, in his outreach. So now Jiva Goswami is proceeding in this section of the uh, 29th Anucheda uh, to give another lesson to us in the proper interpretation of a Shastric Leela and Shastric statements uh, in relation to the Kesha avatars of Vishnu uh, that is appears in various Puranas and the Mahabharat. So he's he's going beyond the, the Srimad Bhagavatam and, and taking us into other avenues where if we were to read these other scriptures, one, taking a literal translation of the incidents, uh, could arrive at a different conclusion. So how are these, this specific Leela, the, the Kesha avatars of Vishnu, how it, should it be looked upon so that it is in complete conformity with the Parivas Sutra of the Bhagavat Purana, which is the, the key by which we understand divinity, the key by which we uh, understand the Supreme Lord, and we develop an attachment to the Supreme Lord um, in a specific manifestation, which our Sampradaya is putting forth as the topmost manifestation of divinity. And they're doing that in a very dignified, in a very uh, conclusive way. And uh, as Gaudiya Vaishnavs, uh, we're completely convinced of this at heart. And gradually, as we continue in our practice, we will become more and more convinced until those convictions uh, afford us the opportunity of revelation. So well, let's read something of the other arguments presented by Jiva Goswami in support of the Pariva Sutra. He continues, it will now be demonstrated that even statements from other scriptures that appear to contradict the above conclusion that Krishna is Swayam Bhagavan are actually in accordance with it. In this regard, we find the following statement in Vishnu Purana. O great sage, he uprooted, uprooted two of his hairs, one white, Sita, and one black, Krishna. He continues, and in the Mahabharata, and he, Bhagavan Hari, uprooted two hairs from his head. One was white and one, the other black. These two hairs then entered into the two women of the Yadu dynasty, Rohini and Devaki. Out of these two hairs of that Deva, Hari, the one white, 
the white one became Balarab, and the other hair, which was black in color, became Keshava. So that's a statement from the Mahabharata. Yiva Goswami continues. In his commentary to Srimad Bhagavatam, Sridhar Swami has explained the purport of these statements as given below. While interpreting the compounds in black hair, he writes. So now Jiva Goswami takes us to the commentary on the Bhagavat Purana in regards to the second canto, seventh chapter, verse. 26. Um, and again, Sridhar Swami is that illustrious uh, Vaishnav whose commentary on the Bhagavatam was so much appreciated by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he comments there, and the white and black hairs indicate his beauty and not the effects of aging because his body is free from all modifications brought about through the influence of time. The statement, he uprooted two hairs from his head, and then he quotes that verse from the Vishnu Purana, is not to suggest that the hair itself would become an avatar, but to let it be known to the devas who prayed to him just how insignificant is the task of relieving the earth of its burden, as if to say, even two hairs of mine can accomplish that. The uprooting of the two hairs, white and black, is to be understood as indicating Balaram and Krishna, Krishna's respective bodily hues. So they're an indicator, but it's not a literal interpretation that that the Godhead uprooted two of his hairs and from his hairs entered into the wombs and in entering into the wombs, two, there were two avataric descents. Sridhar Swami, in his commentary, says this is not the way to understand it. The proper understanding lies in the fact that the relieving of the earth from the negative influence of demoniac leaders is such a paltry thing, such a simple thing to be dealt with that I could do it with two hairs from my head. Now that doesn't play down the manifestation of the Leela uh, of Krishna and Balaram, but rather it's just to put things in proper perspective and give us a proper understanding uh, of the incident. Jiva Goswami continues, otherwise, if the literal reading, reading were to be accepted, it would contradict prior and posterior statements within this very context. Additionally, any interpretation to the contrary would oppose the declaration 
Krishna, however, is Swayam Bhagavan. Here ends Sridhar Swami's comments. So, Jiva has now quoted Sridhar Swami as he said he would do when he explained how this particular presentation of the Sandarbhas would be put forth, that he would be quoting uh, from illustrious authorities on Vaishnavism. Uh, Sridhar would be the topmost, Ramanujacharya, Madhvacharya, everything that was in related in various writings by Madhva, which included his extensive library, which unfortunately had been lost in time. So he's going to draw from all of this, and he's going to, as instructed by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, fully ground Gaudiya Siddhanta in Shastra. Now, Jiva himself continues to write. So, here the following purport is also possible. So, he's quoted Sridhar Swami's perspective. Now, he's going to give his perspective. Oh, Devas, why do you insist that I alone should avatarically descend? I am a specific manifestation of the Purusha called Aniruddha who resides in Sweda Dweep in the ocean of milk. Indeed, these two, Sri Vasudeva and Sankaran, who are upheld on my own head like hair, indicating that they are worthy of my highest regard, will descend themselves to the earth. Moreover, for them, ridding the earth of its burden will be a trifling task. So now, a different understanding. The demigods seeking relief from the burden of demoniac rulership in human society uh, went to the Purusha, uh, in this instance, lying in the ocean of milk within that specific universe. And they made an appeal we need your help despite all that we all that we have tried to do it's not enough so if you could kindly advent yourself and help us relieve the burden of the earth created by this demoniac rulership we would greatly appreciate it we appeal to you we pray to you so they've They've come and they've made their appeal, and Jiva Goswami is paraphrasing here a response that the first of all, the Purusha in the specific universe is a manifestation of Aniruddha, part of the Chaha uh, Chatra Vyuha, uh, and really the also, the, the Chatra Vyuha enters in as the Purusha avatars, uh, Karna Dakshai Vishnu, Garba Dakshai Vishnu, Kashira Dakshai Vishnu. So, Aniruddha being Kashira Dakshai Vishnu within the specific universe residing there is saying, 
I don't need to come because there is going to be, the Lord himself is coming. Vasudevan, Stankershan, certainly, I hold them on my head. They're going to make an avataric descent. They'll take, they'll, in when they advent, this will be a simple, what's it say, trifling task, this relieving the burden of the earth. And they, Vasudeva and Sankarshan, are like hairs on my head. They, they are above me. I am praying to them. He continues, the word meaning of Ujjaharatmana, Keshal, is also given in the commentary of Mukta Fala as follows. And now he's fortifying again and again. He's fortifying the proper understanding. Keshal means the two masters of bliss. The white colored one is Rama. The Lord uplifted Ujjahara, them from himself, Atmanaha. Indeed, in the Hari Vamsa Purana, it is stated that Bhagavan concealed his own form in a mountain cave and having stationed Garuda there as its custodian, he himself appeared here. This is described in the following words. So let us read on and then we'll discuss a little. Now we're quoting from the Hari Vamsa Purana. Jiva quotes there, Vaisapayana said, in this way, taking leave of the devas in their solitary heavenly domain, Swarga, Lord Vishnu went to his own abode in the northern quarter of the Milk Ocean. At that location, there is a cave called Parvati in Meru Mountain, which is difficult to approach and is worshipped regularly by the devas on the occasion of the new and full moons. The benevolent, omnipresent Lord Hari placed his primeval body there and manifested himself in the house of Vasudeva. So, <clears throat> our understanding is whenever Bhagavan Sri Krishna, Swayam Bhagavan Sri Krishna, manifest within a material universe, all of his expansions enter into him. So this is giving us some insight. Here we have within the universe, a manifestation of the Purusha, uh, Karnodakshai Vishnu, uh, Aniruddha, uh, from the Chaturvyuha of the three that are Purushas, three of the four become the Purusha avatars. So Sankarshan, Prajumna, and Aniruddha. Actually, Vasudev, Prajumna, and Aniruddha. So what's being said is I hide my manifestation of Vishnu way in a cave in the Meru mountain called Parvati. And then I 
enter into Vasudev when he makes his avataric descent. Jiva continues, those who have commented on this verse solely in conformity with the literal meaning of the words have not deliberated properly because it is well known that even the suras, suras are free from old age and its effects such as, such as gray hair. So what to speak of Vishnu himself, who is Deva Deva? Bhagavan, who is beyond the ravages of time, is altogether free from gray hair because he is not subject to aging. Nor is there any evidence that he naturally has black and gray hair. Consequently, in the Nisringa Purana, in the context of Krishna's avataric descent, it is precisely the word shakti, potency, that has been used and not the word kesha, hair. For example, appearing in the Yadu dynasty in Devaki through Vasudev, his white and black potencies, shaktis, will slay Kamsa and others. So now Jiva's pointing out that even this word kesa, which could be literally interpreted as hair, is not used in the Nishringa Purana just so that it's not misunderstood. In the Nishringa Purana, in relating the same Leela narrative, the word Shakti is used instead of Kesha. To be so well-schooled in, in all the different Puranas that, that you could find these, these details and bring them out uh, in such a way to enlighten the Gaudiya community is, uh, is one of the characteristics of someone of the caliber of Ajiva Goswami. He continues. It may be argued, argued so then, let the word kesha be indicative of a part, amsa. Jiva's saying, wait a minute. To this we must re reply, no, because he, Sri Krishna, is ascertained as the original Purusha himself, being unremittingly self-endowed with all potencies, and because the names Krishna, Vishnu, and so on are used without any distinction, being understood as synonyms. There is no other avatar whose appearance day is widely, widely renowned by the name Jayanti, the birthday of Sri Krishna. Thus it is said in the Mahabharata. In this book, it is Bhagavan Vasudev, the eternal, imperishable, supreme Brahman, who is glorified. He is the object of the yogi's meditation and is untouched by matter. Um, note here, here, here is the excerpt from 
Hamadri's commentary on Muktafala, known as Kaivalya Dipika. So we can see that Jiva is opposed to, and he's already he's already given us this opposition earlier in relationship to the Pariva Sutra, wherein he quoted Madhvacharya's understanding of the Bhagavatam verse that contains Krishna's stu Bhagavan Swayam as indicating that that particular pada meant that from Madhva's viewpoint, there wasn't a fraction of difference between the different avatars. Now he, Jiva Goswami, already made that point evident to, evident to us. And then he completely refuted Madhva's conclusion. So the Tattvavadis, following Madhvacharya, they do not see a distinction between the different manifestations. They do not recognize a hierarchy of the different manifestations of divinity. For them, the Purusha, Krishna, Narayan, and Vaikuntha all are equal manifestations of the Supreme Lord. Whereas as Gaudias, we have a different understanding and we do see that there is a hierarchy because there's so much scriptural evidence pointing out this hierarchy, explaining the Chaturvyuha, the various uh, divisions there, Vasudev, Sankarshan, Pradyumna, Aniruddha, and when coming into the Purusha manifestations of that Chaturvyuha, the different distinctions, one being Karnadakshai Vishnu, from which all the universes come forth, Garbadakshai Vishnu entering into you each universe. And from him, Brahma is coming. And Brahma is sometimes conceived of as the totality of, of all jivas together, Samasti Jiva. Uh, and then from him, we have Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu into as Brahma populates the universe through his various expansions, all of the various Jivatmas and entering each of their hearts. So here, Jiva Goswami is again saying, no, they're not all the same. And there is a hierarchy. And those that do not see it, they do not have the proper understanding. We will continue with Jiva Goswami.
His being free from the influence of time is confirmed by the words of Sri Devaki Devi. So again, someone could under, misunderstand, uh, you know, even the, even the characteristics of divinity and look to a statement in the scripture that talks about a white and a black hair and say, well, God is just another, another personality. Uh, there's as much influence by the ravages of time within the universe as we ourselves are. And Jiva's quoting Shastra and bringing out the fact that that is not the case. A friend of the manifest, Prakriti, this phenomenon, of time by which the cosmos is impelled is referred to as your own volitional act, chesta. The same conclusion is also widely recognized from this statement of the residents of Dwarka. O Lord, we perpetually bow down to your lotus feet, which are worshiped by Brahma, his sons, Sanaka, and so on, and the kings of the devas, Indra, which are the supreme shelter of those in this world who aspire for the ultimate welfare, and over which time, Kala, the supreme ruler, even of Brahma and so on, has no influence at all. So now a statement from the Bhagavatam, wherein the residents of Dwarka are speaking to the glorious position of the Supreme Lord, even over that of the demigods. Now, from their perspective, the demigods are immortal. They're, they can't comprehend lifetimes, a lifetime which with such a duration of that of the demigods. But they have enough spiritual insight to appreciate the fact that even the demigods are bowing down to the Lord's lotus feet. And therefore, he must be in a superior position to them. So if they're not ravaged by time, how could he be ravaged by time and have gray hair? It, it makes no sense. Jiva Goswami continues, in the Prabhash Kanda, it has been shown that the word Kesha denotes hair and its characteristic of turning gray due to aging. Such a direct meaning is without authority because the topic belongs to a section that advocates dry renunciation for embodied beings, and because it is common knowledge that all devas are free from old age. In this respect, it resembles the following description from Garuda Purana. Quoting Garuda Purana, Jiva says, I offer obeisance to the cosmic law of karma, which, like a potter, restrained Brahma within the pot in the form of the universe. 
which cast Lord Vishnu into great tribulation by impelling him to accept 10 avatars, which made Rudra go begging with a skull in his hand, and by the power of which the sun rotates perpetually in the sky. Such statements, they do not hold authority because they do not have the significance of fully revealing to the reader uh, the proper spiritual conclusion. So, in the context of their presentation, Jiva's pointing out, the direct meaning, to take the direct meaning, that's doesn't have any authority. And he's put, he's really pointing us to we have to see Shastric statements according to context. And he says, because the topic belongs to a section that advocates dry renunciation for the embodied beings. So the context is this is a section of Shastra that's pointing out the unfortunate condition, material condition, that every, everyone is affected by old age. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't correspond with the comprehensive understanding that even the devas from in the heavenly realm are not affected by old age. From, from the wider understanding of Shastra. And it's interesting that, that uh, they don't go through the ravages of old age like one does on the earthly planet. Uh, so the demigod's position is certainly superior. And when we look at statements, uh, they resemble... They say, he, Jiva say, this resembles this, uh, this other statement from the Garuda Purana. And if we read it, it looks like this, if we just take a literal meaning of this statement, uh, Lord Vishnu is even cast into great tribulation and forced to take avataric descents. Uh, that at Rudra Shiva is forced to take a skull and go begging by the by the by the power of the rotation of the sun. All of these great personalities are being influenced by material circumstance. These statements do not stand up in the light of the of the deep. And, and fully comprehensive understanding of Shastra. And it, it's so important that we, even in, 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 in looking at these statements used by Jiva Goswami as exemplars of how to properly approach scripture, our mind goes back to the fact that 
even even the presentation of scripture by Srila Vyasudev from the from the devotional viewpoint was not comprehensive enough. Lord, uh, I'm sorry, Vasudev, he wasn't content. And Narda Muni wasn't content with his presentation. He hadn't, he hadn't gone to the heart of the matter. He'd given all of the different Artha, Dharma, Kama, Moksha, all the different formulations of how to get the best out of life and, the be the, and how to properly attain release from karma altogether. So in the Vedas, he'd given everything, Artha, Dharma, Kama, Moksha, but he hadn't given this deepest understanding of that fifth attainment, which is unalloyed devotion for the Supreme Lord. So therefore, we have the Bhagavat Purana, a rewriting after an in-depth entering into the Samadhi under the direction of Narda. He realized this, this I need he, he had revelation. He saw the Supreme Lord in his most uh, uh, magnificent manifestation. And he saw the living entities and he saw how they could be enlightened to the platform of unalloyed devotion, which far exceeds the simple attainment of moksha or liberation, the fourth material attainment or spiritual attainment, freedom from karma. But it's just that. It's freedom from karma. <laughs> it's not unalloyed devotion, which, which carries with it uh, spiritual fulfillment and service, which far exceeds simply turning off uh, the pains and uh, oppressive nature of the Lord's external energy. So a little commentary here uh, on this section. It's quite extensive, but we will quickly go through it uh, as far as we can today. Here, Jiva Goswami takes up the task of reconciling similar conflicting statements found in other Puranas, such as descriptions, the most, such, among such descriptions, I'm sorry, the most prominent are those that depict Krishna and Balaram as avatars of the black and white hairs of Vishnu. This notion is found not only in the Mahabharata, but also in Vishnu Purana, and even in the Bhagavat Purana itself. If, however, we carefully, if, however, one carefully examines the complete narration presented in these Puranas, one will recognize that such a conclusion is simply without cogency. 
The story behind the Keisha hair avatar is that when the earth goddess felt overburdened by the proliferation of unrighteous kings, she approached the host of devas headed by Brahma. Hearing her plea, Brahma advised the devas to accompany him to the milk ocean to supplicate Bhagavan Vishnu. Being pleased with their praise, prayers, Sri Vishnu appeared to Brahma in response to the report of the earth's plight. He plucked out two hairs from his head and announced that these hairs would descend to the earth and rid her of this burden. So this is how the, the narrative uh, is presented in these various Shastras, some of these various Shastras. As an explanation of these verses, Sri Jiva first refers to Sridhar Swami's comment on the Srimad uh, Bhagavatam verse, where the latter makes the following points. The white and black hairs of Bhagavan Vishnu cannot be the effect of aging since he is altogether free from modification. Rather, they are to be taken as a sign of his beauty. So they'll be taken um, not with a literary uh, interpretation. Two, the uprooting, uprooting of Vishnu's two hairs does not mean that the hair itself appeared as avatars. In this connection, the word ujahara, uprooted, is used in the sense of lifted up. This indicates that removing the earth's burden is a trivial task that could be accomplished even by two hairs from Vishnu's head. Three, the uplifting of the black and white hair was with the intent of indicating Vishnu Aram's respective bodily hues. Four, if the literal reading were accepted, it would contradict both prior and posterior statements within this very context. In particular, it would violate the declaration, Krishna, however, is Swayam Bhagavan. Shijiva Goswami adds to this that what Vishnu meant was as follows, O Devas, why do you insist that I alone should avatarically descend to relieve the earth of her burden? Be pleased to know that Krishna and Balaram, who are worthy of my reverence and whom I uphold on my head, are li like these two hairs, will themselves appear there. This is the intended meaning. To take the direct meaning of Kesha as hair would contradict many other statements besides the formal declaration. Krishna, however, is Swayam Bhagavan. For example, and for example, in Amara Kosa, the Devas are referred to as Nirjara, agent, ageless, and Tridas, even ever situated in the third period of life, i.e., youth, the first two being childhood and adolescence. So, from this explanation, we can see that the proper understanding is that the Devas never never leave uh, the, the, the splendor of their youthful manifestation. This indicates that they are not subject to aging, but remain ever youthful. Consequently, they do not have gray hair. 
If this is the case for the Davis, how could Vishnu, who is the Lord of the Davis, be susceptible to such physical degradation? So what must be that place, uh, the, the heavenly domain, uh, where everyone is uh, forever youthful? There's no adults. <laughs> Commentary continues. Sometimes scriptures employ cryptic statements to conceal the truth from those whose faith, whose faith structure and attention is drawn elsewhere. Being ineligible to receive the truth as it is, they remain bewildered by such statements. In Mahabharata, Vyas, the author, claims that only he, his son Sukha, and possibly son Jaya, know its true import. This implies that the underlying truth that the book entails remains hidden from the view of the masses. Vyas is the author of all the other Puranas and must have inserted similar cryptic verses therein as well to conceal a deeper meaning. Those depicting Krishna as an avatar of Vishnu's Kesha or as his Amsa are precisely of this nature. Such verses, verses are called kuta, cryptic, or enigmatic statements. In light of this conclusion, we are advised to find an alternative meaning of the word kesha. The appropriate use of logic is to provide coherent meaning to the statements of Shastra. From all this discussion, it is evident that the word kesha does not necessarily mean hair. In this particular context, nor does the word amsa always mean a part when used in regard to Krishna's appearance on earth. Shujiva Goswami raises another oppositional view, Purvapaksa. He says that even if we accept all the above interpretations of the verses from different Puranas, we cannot avoid taking the literal meaning of Kesha as hair in the description found in Prabhas Kanda of Skanda Purana. There, it is apparently mentioned that Krishna's hair turned white with age. He explains that this type of represent, representation is simply to instill the spirit of renunciation in the mind of the reader, because the theme of the topic under discussion is vairagya or dispassion from embodied existence. So even though Jiva even points out that if we look to the Skanda Purana and this literal meaning of Kesha, which is presented there, in other words, there's no other way to read what's being presented there, that Krishna's hair turned white with age. But he, he points out, but that Purana, that section of that Purana is not there to give us it, it, anything outside of the context of the subject being discussed. And the subject being discussed is not in relationship to the position of the Supreme Lord in relationship with the devas and the, and the jivas. It's, it's to bring forth the understanding of 
renunciation, which is required on the part of the reader in order for them to gain some footing in spirituality, some footing, some level of renunciation is required. And different examples of the reason that one must renounce are put forth. And this explanation that even the devas, even the, you know, not only you, but the devas above you, and, and even Krishna himself, he can also be affected by time. But that's, that's not, the context has to be, it's to get the point across regarding renunciation. So this commentary continues. There's two more slides. So I'm just going to read the two of them uh, just so we complete this section. According to Padma Purana and Matsa Purana, the Puranas related to Lord Shiva are tamasic in nature, and thus not always authoritative in regard to the self-disclosure of non-dual truth. If particular statements from these Puranas violate the conclusions of the Bhagavat Purana, which embodies the perspective born of non-duality, they must not be taken in their primary sense. Now, what, of course, this commentary is for us as Vaishnavs. So we must not take them, you know, uh, in their primary sense as they're presented in their Puranas. We have to take them looking through the lens of the Bhagavat Purana. And even looking through the lens of the Bhagavat Purana, always we must depend upon the Parivas Sutra as the key uh, to the to the deep understanding presented there. Just as in the Vedas, there are statements propounding ritual action or karma, which are superseded by statements related to the immediate intuition of the self or jnana. In the same way, the Bhagavat overrides the contradictory statements of other Puranas. Ugrashava Sutta was the speaker of Bhagavat Purana whereas Puranas other than the Bhagavad were spoken by his father, Ramaharshan, whose knowledge of Bhagavan was incomplete. As a result, he disrespected Lord Balaram and lost his life. Lord Balaram subsequently installed his son in his place. It is in reference to such scholars who do not have proper understanding of Bhagavan that Sri Sutta Goswami said, such is the account put account some sages put forth. O wise king, but those who speak in this illogical manner contradict themselves, having forgotten their own prior statements. That's from the 10th canto. They forgot forget that if Krishna is admitted as an avatar of a hair of Vishnu, that would contradict their own statements affirming Krishna as Swayam Bhagavan. 
It is concluded, therefore, that the word Kesha in Vishnu Purana does not mean hair and that Krishna is not a partial manifestation of Vishnu. Puranic statements to this effect are made either to conceal esoteric truth or because the speaker is unacquainted with such confidential mysteries. Uh, so that concludes this subsection of the section of the Krishna Sandarbha, uh, the 29th Anucheda. We will continue in our next discussion uh, with the next subsection of this large Anucheda, dealing with the proper interpretation of Shastra and Leela narratives in the Bhagavatam and other scriptures. Uh, regarding the Parivas Sutra. If anyone has a question, I can take that at this time. If not, I sincerely thank you for your kind association. Vanchakalpatu Bhishya, Kripa Sindhubhivacha, Patitanam, Pamanebhyo, Vaishnavidya Namo Namaha. Krishna Kirtana Vanana Tanapano Premamritam Manibhi Viradhi Jana Priyau Priyakarau Nirmasarau Pujitau Sri Chaitanya Kripa Bharau Bhubi Bhubha Aravahantarakau Bande Rupa Sanatana Raghujaga Sriji Gopalaka Krishna Kirtana Ganana Tanapadam Prima Amritam